0: Hey, good morning! Welcome to Calvary Hills Baptist Church. I just praise the Lord for your presence. I tried to uh, shake hands with as many of you as I could. I had my lanyard out. We have a thing here called family ties, which means people who are relatively new to the church. We realize the importance of family connection, and so. Uh, They are encouraged to come shake hands with about three to five people every Sunday before the service starts and say, Hey, thanks for being here. And can we get to know you a little bit better? And so I want to thank you for being here this morning. I know you're looking at me. And so let me introduce myself. My name is Frank Jackson. And go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at that in just a few minutes. There's a reason, uh, there's a couple of reasons, I know some of you probably assumed. I thought, Angelo, that Mark was going to be leading today, so I wanted to look like Mark. Those of you who know Mark, this is how he dresses, he's our worship team leader, but Mark is wearing that collared shirt today, I can't believe it. So I am underdressed. No, that's, I'm not here for Mark. My name is Frank Jackson, um, I was a pastor for 12 years, and then the Lord opened up the door for my wife and me to represent Southern Baptists as a North American Mission Board-endorsed missionary in the Army chaplaincy for 25 years. And that was a few years ago that that chapter closed, and now I'm just a member of Calvary Hills Baptist Church. So do not confuse me with the pastor. I know some of you are saying, if this is what the pastor looks like, I'm not so sure. I am not him. He will be here next Sunday, okay? Okay. These are work clothes. Because we have a lot of work to do. So that's what we're going to look at today, is uh, the work that God's called us to, and how to do it in a way that glorifies Him, and sees men and women and young people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior to be able to stand in opposition to the onslaught of the culture and the direction it's going and to know that your presence makes all the difference in what happens in the future of this culture and this world. If you were with us last week, you realize that the Lord has empowered us through the presence of His Holy Spirit to shine brightly, proclaiming the gospel of salvation and the kingdom of God in a broken, flawed, desperate, selfish, amoral culture that is hell-bent on destruction. And into this culture, the Lord placed You, because you are the visible presence of Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, may we ignore what's being said, ignore the newsprint, and find ourselves totally immersed and focused on what your word says and that each of us who know you as our Lord and Savior yield our lives to your lordship that your name be glorified. Lives transformed because we are bold, courageous, and even audacious in our message and our presence as we are your visible presence in a dead and dying culture. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit today. May your words resonate in our minds, in our hearts, and each person here that you have called to be part of this family of faith find themselves engaged in building up the body of Christ that we might be effective in proclaiming the gospel of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it's no wonder. We see it all around us, what's going on culturally. Some people are throwing up their hands. Some people are wringing their hands. Some people are very, very angry who are Christians. And some people are saying, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Like little little chicken little chicken little, chicken little. The sky is falling in and all that kind of stuff. In fact, you can read it for yourself. The church is in decline. You might even witness it for yourself. Many churches are closing the doors of their campus. People are leaving the faith in droves. And the prophets of doom have declared, the church is dead. Am I right? I am. That's how the world sees things. However, when I come to the Word of God, I read of another family of faith. One that had no political power, had no influence, was men and women who had experienced a personal relationship with Jesus. And as a result of that, they were mocked, ridiculed, and persecuted. And in the midst of all of that stuff, they were bold, courageous, and even audacious, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in that broken Desperate, selfish, amoral culture. And as you read their testimonies through the New Testament, as you see what God was doing through them, you find out that they confronted their culture head-on without apology. In fact, their writings were like taking, thank you Toby, Burns, a sledgehammer to everything that their culture stood for. And through the power of God's Spirit, they broke every barrier down because they knew the power of Jesus. And they spoke revolutionary language that confronted everything that the people in that day held to be truth. I want to share with you one of those passages. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Listen to what Paul writes, and then I'll frame it for you so you can understand how revolutionary, how countercultural, how in your face was the Word of God. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You need to understand how revolutionary that statement was when it was written, it is one of the most powerful statements in the history of the world because it went face to face with a culture that I'm going to share with you how that culture really operated back in the first century. In that day, cultural norms and standards were clearly defined. It was a male-dominated hierarchical society that identified standards of superiority of Greeks and Romans and the inferiority of everyone else And there were clear distinctions about where you fit in, and whatever dignity and value you had was determined by those standards. Rich, poor, master, slave. In fact, here's the sayings of gratitude by Greco Roman men Thank God I was born a human and not an animal. Thank God I'm a man, not a woman. Thank God I'm a Greek. Thank God I'm a Roman and not a barbarian. The Jews would say it like this. Thank God I am not a Gentile. And that was clearly defined where you fit in and nobody was allowed to cross that line without permission of somebody else. And then rabbinic Jewish culture would add one more. Thank God I'm not a slave. But through the gospel of the kingdom of God, Christ brought men, women, Gentiles, Jews, barbarians, masters, slaves together, and out of all of that mess, he created a family of faith because the barriers were broken down by the power, Of God's transforming spirit the focus was not on your status the focus was not on your success the focus was not on your ethnic background but the focus was on experiencing and knowing the Lord in a personal relationship as a faith community based in relationship with him and expressed in love for one another. That's your heritage. That's who we are. And we are called together by the Lord to encourage one another, to support one another, to inspire one another, to equip one another to daily experience the visible presence of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's who you are. We're going to go through the next three slides and I want you to read them with me because they describe who you are. They describe what you look like. And part of the challenge that we struggle with in this generation and in our society now is Christians don't even understand who they are or what they look like and how they're supposed to be. So no wonder churches are closing. No wonder people are leaving the church in droves. Because we didn't have anything to offer. Because we were far, far, far away from what God was doing. Go to the next slide. Read these with me. Now, He's using you, fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus at the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. Go to the next slide. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Next slide. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. Now, stop for just a minute with me. That changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything, changes how we are to live, changes how we relate to one another, it changes. What does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? What does it mean to be a member in Calvary Hills Baptist Church? See, we've got to cast off some things, don't we? If those verses and sense those verses are true, we've got to take a hard look at what have we done and what are we doing and where are we going. Now, one of the guys I love more than anybody else in this church <clears throat> is Eric Shields, and Eric Shields is going to come today, and we're going to illustrate what we just read. Eric Shields is chairman of deacons here. He was on the pastor search team, and I love him with all my heart, so come on up, brother. This is not The Price is Right, but come on down. Stay with me. Are you ready for this? No, I'm serious. Some, we're going to blow the socks off of some of you guys. Turn around here so everybody can get a good look at you. Oh, by the way, Eric is the art teacher at at an elementary school. Elementary school. So he's got his hands full because I remember how I acted. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Okay. This is the body of Christ. According to the scripture, this is the body of Christ, Eric. He represents all of us. Now, we already know by the scripture that the head of the body is Jesus. So that means above Eric is Jesus. And he called Eric, he saved Eric, he redeemed Eric, he transforms Eric, he put him in the body of Christ, and he reflects the body of Christ. So, here he is. He's got a head, he's got two arms, he's got two hands, he's got two legs, he's got two feet. He's a complete body. Now watch this. And it's scriptural. Look it up. First Corinthians chapter twelve through chapter fourteen. Put your hands down. Okay, let's say here's the body, and Eric's ear, which is far, far distant from his foot, says, "You know what? I really don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't even know this. I don't. I only see him whenever I put my socks on. So I don't have time for him." So I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I just do that. I just ignore him. Show me in the scripture where it says that's the way it's supposed to work. In fact, it clearly says, Eric, your ear. Because remember who made the body of Christ? The Lord. Your ear has a responsibility and is accountable to me for what happens with your toe that's what it says doesn't it God placed everybody in the body exactly where he wants them to be and he builds up the body piece by piece stone by stone until we reach full maturity in Jesus you're a great guy Are you with me? All right, here we go. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Now, I don't want you to look at the person next to you because you know them. That's why you're sitting next to them. Okay? So those of you who are here, you can either look that way, but I want you to look all the way down here to these guys. And you can look way over here to these guys. And you guys do the same thing. And you guys that are over here, I want you to look all the way over there. And then you guys look all the way over here. There's, I don't know, 250, maybe 260 people here today. And not all of you are members of the family of faith. I got that, I got that, I got that. But if you're a member of the family of faith, you probably don't even know those people clear over here. And I know you don't know these people who are clear over here. And I know you guys in the middle probably don't, you know, you probably don't know anybody because you're all right together. There's a whole bunch of you together. Listen. It's important. You are accountable to the Lord according to the scripture accountable to the Lord to ensure that every person that's over here who is a member of the body of Christ has the opportunity to grow and mature in Jesus and you don't even know their name but that's not the point the point is they are members of the family of faith Don't sit down yet. So how did we ever give ourselves permission to stray from the word of God and say, hey, let's all go to church this morning. If you said that this morning, I'm not trying to be ugly and smart-alecky, but I want you to understand something. You don't know what you're talking about. There's no such thing as going to church. That's not the church. This is a campus. I'm looking at the church. You are the family of faith. You're the body of Christ. You don't go to the church. God gathers you as the church. And where do we ever get to the place of saying, well, you know, if I show up at 11 o'clock every Sunday and give a little money, I am good to go at this station. Now that's army talk. I want you to show me in the scripture where it says that. What it says is, you are a member of the family of faith and you are accountable to God to ensure that you are participating actively in the family of faith, that the whole family of faith is being built up through the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And we are exhibiting to a dead dying world This is what life looks like. Go ahead, take a seat. We have work to do. You see, our God-ordained purpose for even coming to this campus is to outlive, outlove the world And proclaim the gospel of Jesus by calling people to repentance, and as they surrender and are reconciled to Him, to equip them to reach others to follow Jesus. So here's my question Who are you discipling in Christ? that look like then do we have an example of how this thing's supposed to function oh we do that's why you turn your bibles to acts chapter 2 this is a great story this is the beginning of we get the chance opportunity to be the the uh, results of their faithfulness this is the very first church Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here's where we begin. The church, the family of faith, were gathered together, and they were together. Now, I don't want you to be a Greek scholar or anything like that, but I want you to understand that if you were to get a Greek New Testament, I know some of you are doing seminaries, you're going to get Greek someday, so you're going to probably do this passage in translation. It actually says in the Greek, and they were all together, together. And back in the day, when I took Greek, many, 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 many years ago, Dr. J. Niles Puckett would say to us, Now men, when you're reading God's Word in the original language, when you see a word repeated twice, you better stop. Because something just happened. So we studied all together, together, together. Because what the testimony was, these people were together. They had one heart, one mind, one focus. Now let's be honest, because of what we just read about how culture operates, when the world looks at you, they look at us and they say, we don't even understand how this thing functions at all. It doesn't make any sense from the world philosophy that you even exist. And that's so frustrating. And that's one of the reasons the world and culture are so angry with us because we shouldn't even be here. Because this is the only place it really works. Now, we, I didn't have you look at each other when you were standing up, but you can look around. Isn't it amazing? Look at each other. We don't look the same. Look at each other. We come from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. We have different vocations. We have different personality styles. We do things differently, and we're just... Phew, And I've had people say to me, well, I used to go to that church, but I couldn't find anybody who was like me, so I left and went to another church. Or I just dropped out. I said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What binds us together is not personality style, not race, not ethnicity, not job, not how anybody even talks about you. What binds us together is the presence of God's Holy Spirit in His undwelling in us. He pulls us together in one heart, one mind to glorify the Lord and proclaim the gospel in our lives. That's what it means to be all together, together. Next Sunday, we have a new pastor coming. Would it not be just amazing and blow his socks off to say, Brother Nathan, here's the deal, man. You lead us because here's what you need to know. We're together. And not only are we together, we are together, together. I'd love to be the pastor of that church. I just get to be a member. And I'm pretty excited about that. Now, why was it they were able to be all together, together? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we got to put this in context, right? Prior to this date, the church, The family of faith was a small group of believers who were just following Jesus' instructions to wait. They had failed miserably at the crucifixion. They ran away and hid because they were afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. But you know the story, or if you don't know the story, I'm going to tell you the story. Three days later, Jesus arose from the grave. And he, who did he go to? Scared believers who weren't sure what was going to happen next. And he said, come on, we've got work to do. And he spent 40 days coaching, modeling, encouraging mentoring, building them up to see what it meant to be the body of Christ. And after the 40 days, he said, now here's the deal. Go to Jerusalem and wait. That was it. Go to Jerusalem and wait. He had ascended into heaven. And so here, this small group of believers had no idea Really, what was going to happen next? Except Jesus said, hey, guess what? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other post-parts of the world. And they're saying, what in the world did he just say? It doesn't matter. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they did. And 10 days later, I really like what Lloyd Ogilvie says about this story church in the waiting mode he said they were waiting on the edge of a miracle i don't know about you that's great language for me because when i look at calvary hills baptist church and now i'm part of it true that's what i see we are waiting on the edge of a miracle and on the day of pentecost god's spirit broke loose and they began to change the world their lives were their lives were transformed not because of great things that they did not because of great plans they had not because of all the great stuff that they had and available to them They were transformed by the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, and nothing was going to be. The same. And they were bold, they were courageous, they were audacious in their testimony that when you yield your life to the Lordship of Christ, there's freedom, there's hope, there's transformation, there's healing, and there's reconciliation with God. And that's what they said, that's what they lived, that's what they proclaimed. Now, let's be honest. They would face persecution. They would face ridicule. They would face mocking. They would even be crazy with one another. I guarantee you if you're in the church long enough, I'm going to digress for a minute here, but I you just need to know this because people I meet, well, I was in a church and they just hurt me so bad. So I'm not going back to church. I'm not going to Get out of town. I'm going to help you out. If you're in the church for any period of time, you're going to get hurt because we're flawed people. We do the best we can as we surrender to the Lord, but we're still people who act like people. And God's a great God, he redeems us, he forgives us, he restores us, but you gotta allow him to do that. And then we just press on. They were going to experience that, but those were not challenges because they realized that the Holy Spirit dwelled within them, and he was transforming their life. And their hope is our hope. And our hope is not in us, but in the Holy Spirit. Our faith is not in us, but in the indwelling Holy Spirit who transforms us. Our victory is not in us, but in the power of the Holy Spirit who changes our lives. That's who we are in Christ. Romans says it like this. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read from the message. So don't you see, we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. That's who we are things to do, places to go that God sets before us because we are now defined as the children of God. So how do we find out what we're supposed to do next? Well, go to the next slide. And they all prayed together. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We begin, the the new church begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and lives are being changed and the church is growing like crazy and it shakes up the whole culture in Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin, and the priests and the Pharisees. Man, they don't know what's going to happen next. So they said, well, here's what we got to do. Just arrest these two guys. Arrest Peter and John and and beat them up a little bit and tell them don't talk like this about God anymore. And, you know, and just... uh, mock them, and, and ridicule them, and harass them, and they'll stop. And of course, you know what Peter and John say. Well, you know, thank you very much for your contribution, but we've got to obey God rather than men. And so they beat them up some more and threw them out. And they go back to the church. And what I want to call your attention to is Acts chapter 4, verse 24. They come back, and what does the church do? Praise And they all pray, And they all prayed together. And it says when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And as you read that prayer, you realize that nobody says, Lord, the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin said they're being so mean to us. Um, Can't you kind of get us out of this and do something to fix it? Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When we read the prayers of first century Christians, we find out that the focus of their prayer is much different than ours. The focus of their praying was to get to know the Lord because they understood that the way life is nourished is to get to know the Lord. So instead of God, they're saying, oh, God, deliver us from this. They're saying, God, bring it on. And oh, by the way, empower us to be bold, courageous, and audacious and stretch out your hand as we proclaim the gospel that lives are changed. That's our calling. I can't do anything about churches that are closing their doors. Can't do anything about churches that are not willing to tell the congregation the truth about what we got to be about. I can only be responsible for being bold and audacious and saying to us, Our praying is to get focused on getting to know the Lord and connecting with Him. We just finished a prayer study on Sunday nights, and man, it was just too much fun. And I want to thank Craig Gray for being part of that and leading part of that. But here is a great prayer for us out of Colossians. Paul says, My prayer for you is that God fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. That's what I want you to pray for me. And my prayer is, that's what we need to pray for one another. We're in the midst of an ugly, dead, dying, angry, confused world. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Be courageous. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Oswald Chambers writes it like this. The focus of prayer is not Lord change change things, but Lord change me, and I will change things. Go to the next slide. So they all prayed together, and then they all witnessed together. (laughs) Is this great or what? I know you're saying, man, this is a really mean and ugly culture we're in. Oh my gosh, I just feel like If i say anything i'm going to get squashed like a bug in the road i don't know you might i don't know but here's what i do know i do know that god placed us here in the midst of this culture so that we have the proclamation for we are the light to provide the path of hope and restoration that comes from experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ and becoming part of the kingdom of God, and He changes our life. Man, we had a great men's breakfast tonight. I want to invite the men who are here. Uh, Probably one of the greatest things that our church has uh, twice a month is a men's breakfast. And uh, it's great. A lot of great food. Um, It's just too much fun. And I promise you will not leave saying, boy, I wish there was more food. Are you kidding me? There's more food than we know what to do with. And you've got some excellent cooks. You've got Drew Kingma, who is the egg man. And you've got Jeff Braun, who is the bacon man and the pancake man. And they do a great job. And I get to be there to watch this thing. And what I've seen as we've come along is seeing the transforming power of the Lord in this breakfast. And yesterday... Man, Drew, as you listed the prayer requests, I don't know if anybody was really paying attention to those prayer requests. Did you notice that every single prayer request, even when it was specific for somebody, was not only, Lord, meet that need, but equip them to be bold in their influence and their testimony to somebody else? And I'm just going to call them out because I love them with all my heart. Gary. Gary is a long-haul truck driver. This next week, he's going to be on the road a lot. So we did pray, Lord, bless Gary with traveling mercies. But that's not where we stopped. What we prayed for was, Lord, give him the courage to be an influence to the people he meet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's prayer that makes a difference. Man, and all the prayer requests were like that yesterday. I was having too much fun. In fact, I was getting kind of noisy over there. People probably thought I was turning Pentecostal or something, but I wasn't. I was just having a great time. We all witnessed together, and we had a guest speaker, Sam Torres, wherever you are, thank you very much. He brought a friend of his, whose name is Andrew. He's a missionary in a foreign country that we can't talk about, but he's also a, a former military guy, and he told a story, and I could identify with that story, not that I had ever had this experience, but I know guys that did. They were getting ready to go out on a mission outside the wire, and uh, he had to go to the privy. Really, it was an outhouse, and I don't know where he was at, but there were some of those places I had go to before. The outhouse was really some canvas up around a hole in the ground. That was it. And he, it was dark. So he had his flashlight on. So when he went in, he was doing his business. His flashlight fell off into privy into the mess and he said he looked down in there and he saw what was in there and all the filth and the muck and the mire and he said I can't leave my flashlight here I need it and other members on my team need it so I got to figure out how I'm going to get it out because I have to get it but there's only one way to get it out right so he found some plastic bags and covered up his arm as far as he could and he reached down in all that stuff and he got his flashlight. And I loved what he said next. He said, I'm probably going to get cancer because of all the uh, liquid I used that, to clean guns and other things to clean this flashlight and clean my arm. Are you with me? You, you, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And God has placed you in the midst of the muck and the filth And the darkness, and it's as ugly as anything you can imagine. And he said, You're exactly where I want you to be. And then he placed you in a body of Christ, while you're in the middle of all of that mess, we rally round you and say. How can we pray for you? How can we support you? How can we encourage you in Jesus as you proclaim the gospel of God? Rick Warren asked this question. Is anybody going to heaven because of you? I know, not everyone's going to receive your witness. But you have something to share. You have something to say. God has empowered you and moved in your life to be bold, courageous, and audacious. We're here because many, 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 many years ago, a group of Christians said, This is what God called us to be. And they were faithful to the call. And here we are now. Are you ready to be faithful to the call? One of my favorite singers is a guy by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman, and this is one of his songs. I'm just going to share with you the lyrics of the chorus of this song because it was the one that kind of grabs me every time I hear it. I say, yes, saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze through the yonder of God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader to the glorious unknown, this is the life like no other. This is the great adventure. Pray with me.